You're listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 14th of December, 2023. On Market Day, we'll speak with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today for his take on what to look out for in 2024, along with the US Fed Reserve's commentary on where interest rates are going. It's really moved the markets today. But first to Australia's labour market, where the unemployment rate rose from 38 to 3.9% in November. That's despite 61,500 jobs being created and a record number of people in work. For more, I spoke with Pat Bustamante, economist at Westpac. Pat, what does today's labour force numbers say about the jobs market and the role it's playing in the economy? So um, it was an interesting result. Um, we saw employment growth actually be a bit stronger than what we were anticipating. Um, but at the same time, the unemployment rate ticked up a bit higher than what we expecting, than what we were expecting. Um, the big, the big story from today's labor force survey was what's happening on the supply side of the labor market. So we actually saw uh, the participation rate, which measures, uh, what share of the population is engaging with the labor market. So either employed or looking for employment. Um, that increased to a record high of 67.2%. Um, so that's a, a lot of those people that joined the labour market found employment, about 62,000 actually were employed, um, but the remainder uh, joined the unemployment queue and that's why we saw the unemployment rate tick up um, over over the month of November. Um, so the labour market still remains quite strong. Um, it's kind of evolving in the way that we expected. So we expect, uh, you know, labour supply to continue to increase and outpace labour demand, leading to a bit of loosening in conditions. Um, so it's it's definitely still remaining strong, and it's been playing um, quite a quite a significant role when it comes to households because it's quite clear that households are under quite a bit of pressure at the moment. They've been squeezed by high interest rates, elevated inflation. Um, and bracket creep when it comes to tax receipts. So we saw that last week in the national account. And the fact that the, the labour market has been quite strong has provided households a bit of a safety blanket. It means that you've got a job. It means that if you're under you know, financial stress, you can find a second job. Um, so it's, it's led to a bit more resilience in the labour market. And that's what we've seen in the economy. It's been quite resilient um, up until now. So, um, so it's quite strong, but evolving in the way that we're, we're expecting. Is it fair to say then that if the average person looks at that headline rate at 3.9% and sees that it's at an 18-month high, that the uh, that high number really masks the true strength of the labour market and why? Uh, it does to, to some extent. Um, and I guess I would point out the uh, another quite um, important and powerful indicator, which is the share of the population that's employed. So the employment to population ratio, that's also at a record high today. So that provides an indication that, you know, labour demand is quite strong because the record share of the population is actually employed today. But that's that's slowing. Um, I guess labour demand's coming down. And we've seen that in in some indicators, such as the unemployment rate, which has ticked up um, to 3.9%. Um, but you've got to remember that's still a lot lower than where it was um, in the lead up to the pandemic, where it was, you know, averaging about five and a quarter percent. Um, we've also seen the underemployment rate tick up um, in this month and over the last six months as well. And that just suggests that, you know, people are finding employment, but they're not getting sufficient hours, so they want to work more. Um, so that's another sign that, you know, 
conditions are loosening. Um, and finally, hours worked. So basically, even though employment in terms of heads has grown over the last six months, hours worked has actually gone sideways. Um, and that's because, you know, employers uh, are not requiring um, the same amount of um, hours uh, because the demand in the economy is slowing on the back of, you know, high interest rates uh, and the slowdown in consumer demand. So, so it's, uh, yeah, so it is still strong, but um, it, it is slowing. There's been a lot of um, debate recently about the level of migration in Australia. Uh, what kind of a role is that having on these employment numbers? And if there is a slowing in migration, as there is some talk that may happen in the future, what's that likely to mean to to the, the employment market? Yeah, so migration has been quite strong. And we also received uh, population numbers today for the year of 2022-23. Uh, um, and that showed that net overseas migration uh, was about 520,000 over the year. Uh, and that was a lot stronger than what the government had anticipated in the May budget, which was around 400,000. Um, so migration has, has been quite strong and that's added to, to labour supply in the economy. So essentially we've had a kind of three uh, waves of increases in labour supply in the economy. So when the borders were closed, uh, we didn't have migration. Uh, labour demand was still strong because the economy was doing well. So we saw like a lot of young Australians, uh, females and older Australians um, join the labour market and we saw their participation rates increase. Um, when the borders open, we saw overseas migration really, you know, spike um, and the labour market remained strong to absorb um, a large share of that net overseas migration we saw over the last kind of 18 months or so. Um, and now and now we're seeing this third wave where basically people under financial stress uh, potentially are joining the labour market or, uh, you know, picking up a second job. So in terms of the role that the uh, migration's played, so up until today it's been, um, you know, quite strong numbers. It's helped us to fill, uh, you know, labour shortages uh, more efficiently than in other countries. Um but if that continues to, to be strong and, you know, the government's forecasting uh, migration numbers to kind of slow down from now, um, I guess the role it plays is, is continue to uh, you know, increase supply. Um, at the same time, um, well, demand's kind of slowing. So it kind of helps the labour market conditions ease, um, you know, through time as, as, as more people join the labour market. So it, it kind of provides a role in um, increasing supply um, and, uh, basically helping us to, to meet those skill shortages and uh, to the extent that labour supply is not required to, to um, for the labour market to ease a bit, which is what the RBA wants to see. Speaking of the RBA then, um, these latest numbers, any implications for the RBA when it meets in February? I mean, does it show that the, mar- that the, the, the jobs market is still strong? It may feed through to inflation still. It may warrant a rate rise or is it done, for example, still? Uh, we, we think this is consistent with our core, um, that the, the Reserve Bank's done with its hiking cycle. Um, so, uh, in its latest, um, statement of monetary policy, the banks got the unemployment rate drifting higher to about 4% by December. So, uh, uh, yeah, by December, I think it was. So it's, it's kind of consistent with what the, the Reserve Bank was forecasting, um, to happen. So, um, it, it kind of, it's, uh, in our view, um, it doesn't provide, um, any kind of ammunition for the Reserve Bank to be concerned or to think that it needs to hike. If anything, it provides, um, them with confidence that, you know, monetary policy is working, labor market conditions are softening, 
um, and it reduces the risk that we get unsustainable wages growth, which feeds through into um, services inflation, uh, which remains sticky, which is the real risk that they're trying to guard against. These numbers suggest that, um, you know, the risk that that occurs is is quite low, particularly when you look at things like underemployment, um, hours work gone sideways over the last six months. So that really kind of points to, like, softening labour demand. Um, and if you've got labour supply increasing at the same time, you've got a loosening in conditions, and that just reduces the risk that you have um, unsustainable wages growth or bottlenecks emerging in the labour market. So we think it's you know consistent with what they would be expecting, and if anything, they'll be quite uh, you know quite happy with today's outcome. Pat was Demonte there from Westpac. Now market day on the SBS on the Money podcast. The Australian share market had a spectacular day. The S&P ASX 200 up 1.7% to 7,377. That is an 18-week high. It follows US Federal Reserve commentary. Firstly, it left interest rates on hold, but then signalled they're set to cut interest rates in 2024. For more, I spoke with Marcus Today's Henry Jennings. Henry, what a spectacular day for the ASX at a five-month high. A lot of it has to do with the US Fed overnight basically saying that rates there won't rise anymore with as many as three rate cuts to come next year. How significant is this for investors? Why? And does it change things? It does change things. It's a very significant event for investors. The Federal Reserve uh, last night was very dovish and uh, those dot plots, which we haven't seen for a few months, because the last time was in September, uh, do indicate three rate cuts next year, rate cuts. So that does mean that we have seen peak rates in the US. Of course, anything can happen. It could be data dependent. But certainly, we are seeing inflation coming off and slowing in the US, albeit slowly, and they are returning towards that band. So things are happening. And that, of course, has a big effect on bonds. 10-year bonds were at one stage close to yielding 5%. Now they're under 4%. And that happened in the space of a month or so. So it has been quite a momentous shift in terms of the risk-free rate. And the risk-free rate, which is the 10-year US bond, to some extent, does drive equity markets and risk. And that's what's driving us higher. So before we go more into the markets, it's seen a big jump in the Australian dollar against the US as a result too, hasn't it? Uh, It has. I wouldn't say a big jump. I mean, it's good to see a jump. Let's face it, the Aussie dollar is still a little bit uh, on the nose still. It is very much a reflection of China. It is seen as a proxy to the Chinese economy. So it has languished around 65, 66 cents for pretty much most of the year. The long term average for the Aussie dollar since it was uh, floated is around 75 cents. So it looks as if we could push higher again. And with lower US rates and our rates set to stay where they are, in theory, Uh, That does make the US dollar a little less attractive to hold and the Aussie dollar a little more attractive to hold. And that will push the Aussie dollar back towards, well, at least 70 cents in the short term, I would think. So which sectors did well on the share market as a result of the US rates decision? Well, the banks, for one, they are certainly pushing ahead yet again. Uh, The yields on the banks look very attractive compared to uh, the yields now in in the bond market for Australian investors. So that is certainly helping. Also, it does take some pressure off uh, home borrowers as well in terms of their interest rates coming off. The RBA sets their serving suggestion, but it's still up to the banks what they charge for borrowers. So that's helping the banks. The REITs as well, the Real Estate Investment Trust doing well. They borrow a lot of money to buy office buildings, etc. 
So that is helping them because the cost of capital is coming down. We're also seeing financials generally doing quite well. And what has been surprising, I guess, is the strength of the iron ore price, which is still hovering around 135 US a ton, which when you convert it into Aussie is over 200 bucks, uh, which is a pretty good number. And both BHP, Rio and Fortescue hitting all-time highs yesterday. BHP not hitting all-time highs as yet, but when you add in the Woodside uh, deal they did with their oil and gas assets, I think it's pretty much at an all-time high. So uh, a pretty good uh, result for resources, banks, financials, REITs, in fact, uh, generally the market across the board. I'm asking everyone on the podcast in the last few weeks of the year, where do they see uh, the investment opportunities for 2024? I think we're going to see a continuation of what we're seeing in the latter half of uh, this year. Uh, November was a very good month. December could be a very good month as well. I think financials, banks will continue to be firm. Lithium and oil is the interesting one because it has been so down in the dumps. And I think oil could be interesting going into 2024. The US did sell down their strategic petroleum reserves, you may remember. And there is a, uh, a mandate, I guess, to fill those back up. The, the wild card, of course, is the US election with Trump, and that will unfold during 2024. But I think generally we've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, most global markets have had a pretty good year when you actually look at it. Japan up 23%, US markets booming. Uh, the only ones that have really been suffering are commodity-based ones like Australia uh, with a very meager 4 or 5% gain in the year to date. So I'm expecting our markets to do a lot better pretty much across the board and maybe healthcare and other standouts. Henry Jennings there from Marcus Today. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.